Hey everybody, welcome to Hobbs and Friends. I am your host, Jason Hobbs, and uh, once more, we have a hopefully interesting and entertaining show planned for you today. I have a guest from literally halfway around the world, oh, maybe all the way around the world from me, and uh, he is actually in the midst of co-designing a game that has been around since 1977. Today, I have Andy Staples. What's going on, Andy? Hi, Jason, and hi, everybody else. Yeah, um, I hasten to add that we haven't actually been writing the game since 1977. <laughs> um, this is the this is the fifth edition of it now. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh, awesome. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> it might be a bit bigger than 600 pages if we'd been writing it for 40 years. Well, it sounded like um, the first edition was like that from what I looked up, but we're going to get to that later. First of all, let's try and explain maybe who you are and uh, what you've done. Uh, a lot of times I'll start with how we know each other, and uh, that's because uh, your one of your buddies, Andrew Merrington, invited me to the Golf Role-Playing Community Online Convention, which is kind of a mouthful, but uh, it was quite fun. And you yeah. ended up, Andrew couldn't make it because his wife had to go to the hospital or something, and you started, uh, you, you were hosting that uh, um, panel, right? Yeah, I was supposed to be one of the guests and uh, and found myself suddenly <laughs> suddenly being the host at about 15 minutes notice. Um, I'd, I'd done, I'd forget how many panels I hosted that uh, that weekend. But um, but yeah, by the by the end of the weekend, my throat was was uh, it was like I'd been at uh, been at a major con running games nonstop. You know, I was croaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better watch out because in 15 minutes you might be pretty much hosting this show as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Andrew had uh, told me a little bit about you that you were a hero guy, and I might know you from the Hero Games Forum. We might have crossed paths. So I tended to lurk around the uh, around the fantasy hero section of the board. So if you're oh. a if you're a champions player, then uh, then we might not have we might not have um, crossed All paths on there. All of them, but um, I was running fantasy hero as well. So yeah. Um, I was known on the uh, Hero Boards initially as Andy Staples, and then later as Barwicky. And as I decided that I wanted to wanted to use a handle rather than my mm -hmm. actual name, I was known as Savinian. Oh, then we definitely did cross paths. <laughs> uh -oh. Yes, yeah, yeah. We're mortal, we're mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I must ask you to roll for initiative, sir. Though not, though not under hero rules, because you don't do initiative in that system. Yeah, no kidding. I, w I think I was built on way less points than you, so I'm in trouble. I'll have you know I've lost weight recently. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, so, uh, and really that's about it. One of my good buddies, Ray Case, used to talk to me about uh, chivalry and sorcery. And then when I heard you were doing that, I was like, oh man, I, I better, I better get you on here. But you wrote some other games, right? You're also known for what your blog, uh, penultimate Harn. Is that what it is? Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm hugely known for it. <laughs> I have one that I, that I, I remember to update occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally, occasionally I write an article that gets some interest. Um, but mostly people, people ignore it. And I, I, sh I just shout my barbaric yawp into the, ethernet <laughs> well i think that's um, what most people with blogs are doing 
Absolutely. Uh, I edited uh, the Black Void RPG, which was um, written by a friend of mine, um, a chap who used to be in the golf role-playing community. Well, still is, but he's he's moved out of moved out of the Middle East now. I did some work for uh, Columbia Games Harnworld setting, but not a great deal. Mostly, sort of my published stuff has focused around around chivalry and sorcery. I kind of notice some similarities between these games. Really crunchy. Actually, believe it or not, I really, really like rules light stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I started, as, as many of us did, with uh, basic D&D. In my case, with the Holmes edition. I do like crunch, but I like rules light stuff as well. Everything's good in its, in its context. If I'm going to impro stuff, then Dungeon World works great for me i'm quite partial to a game of fiasco now and again when sort of all the all the level of crunch of chivalry and sorcery gets gets too much for me i love digging out the fantasy trip and um having a really nice back to basics arena combat there what is black void honestly i've never heard of it black void is um it's its own system it's a standalone game christopher Sevelson has been working on it initially as a setting and then as a system for for several years so it's basically um a cosmic apocalyptic horror game um oh. with a with a with a middle eastern influence sort of mm. the, the premise of the game is that in ancient babylonian times earth was destroyed some of the some humans managed to flee into the uh, into the void where they encounter alien creatures with lots of insectoid bits and tentacles and other things that make you go mad and have to find their way it's got influences from uh, planescape uh, from cthulhu mythos um, it's really really very good fun the artwork and the setting is absolutely gorgeous uh, for it. Cool. I think Chris is working on an art book for the game. It's very, very stylish. A lot of Middle Eastern influence in it as well. Your social influence factor is, is called wasta, which is uh, an Arabic term for roughly translated as, as influence or, or knowing, knowing the person who can get stuff done. Hmm. Um, contacts, Amazing. influence, that kind of thing. Cool. Um, so maybe we should back up a little bit and say, I said maybe all the way around the world, where, where are you where are you talking to us from today? So I am currently sitting in Dubai, in the suburb of Rashidiya, um, where the temperature is about 50 degrees centigrade. That's about 120 Fahrenheit. So if you do pick up little bits of buzzes and what have you, that's my air conditioning unit. I, I'm not switching that off. <laughs> I tried to talk him into it, guys, but he wouldn't do it. <laughs> Just I will. I'm melting. I'm melting. <laughs> so um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the golf role playing community. What that? Yeah, what that's all about. Um, yeah, that that's that's really kind of taken off. When I first um, when I when I came to Dubai uh, about 15 years ago, I sort of arrived with a suitcase and had um, 30 to 40 boxes of books and uh, and games shipped over. But really, you know, didn't know anybody, didn't know how to play. There were a, occasionally saw a, a copy of D and D. I think it was three point five in the in in one of the shops, and then it would be gone. And I'm like, oh, somebody's somebody's bought it. There's another gamer here. And then then sort of met uh, met an Emirati guy um, through work who uh, sort of 
came up to it. We were chatting about something unrelated. Um, and uh, he, he sort, of, sort of looked at me and said, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Like, no, go ahead. He said, "Do you own a twenty-sided die?" <laughs> and and this was this was back in the days where you know th this was before the Marvel movies, yeah. you know, and before Game of Thrones, when we were all still a little bit, you know, how much do we admit about what we like doing in our home lives at work? Yeah. You know, the satanic uh, panic was still fresh in our memories. Well, yeah, and I so I'm sort of sitting there going, "How do I answer this?" And I sort of stayed quiet for a while, and he just went, "No, no, 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 forget I asked that." And I just said, "Wait." Yes, I do. Oh, thank God, he said. <laughs> so we started gaming together. But things really took off for us. Um, God, how long ago is it now? About eight or nine years ago? They um, had the first Middle East film and comic con in Dubai. And I was working through that weekend, so I couldn't go down to it. But uh, Mohammed, the, the guy who asked me if I owned a 20-sided die, he'd, he'd gone down to it. So I got a phone call from him half th halfway through the day. There's a guy down here, and he's and he's running games. He's running Shadowrun for 17 people. Like, <laughs> is, Holy it, cow. is he mad? Yeah. Shadowrun for 17? <laughs> Essentially, what he'd done was just wants to go down, get gaming out yeah. at a... At a, at a Dubai's first geeky convention, and his entire idea was that we form a community afterwards. So about a month afterwards, um, 10 or 12 of us met up in a coffee coffee shop in Dubai and uh, decided that henceforth we would be the golf role-playing community and appointed ourselves committee members. And since then, we've built up to a community of nearly a 1,000 members. Wow. Um, so there is a there is a huge, huge gaming community um, in the Middle East. We've allied with people with with gamers in Bahrain and in Saudi Arabia. Gaming is international, um, oh, and one of the things sure. I really love about uh, love about the Middle East gaming scene is it's a place where expatriates from all over the world come. There are you know close to two hundred nationalities living in the united arab emirates so you know it's a really really diverse group religiously ethnically it's it's fantastic you know we're we're, we're having a whale of a time over here um and we're, we're we're gaming to our hearts content usual thing there's a lot of things that are very similar to the rest of the gaming world you know D D fifth edition is still the uh, still the big kid um that's you know, all right Pathfinders, Pathfinders, there. Um, we got old school, we got new school, we got rules light, we got rules heavy. You know, loads of different, loads of different games going on. Fantastic! Awesome. It is, it is the best gaming scene I've ever been involved with. That's great. Frankly. That's that's wonderful. I guess I'm jumping all over, but I did look at your uh, <laughs> blog recently, and I did see that you talked about uh homosexuality in the middle ages is that like a yeah. popular post or did you get any feedback from it at all I've, I've i've had i've had i've had quite a lot of quite a lot of interest from from people who want diversity in the middle ages there's there's quite a lot of misconceptions about the middle ages you know that it was very straight laced um very conservative with a with a small c um and on the surface it was mm. But as with anything, you know, you start digging into digging into the details, and you find out some really, really interesting, interesting stuff. Like homosexuality, yeah, there was, there was quite a thriving gay scene in the 11th and 12th centuries, um, and then the church started tightening up 
um, on that a bit. In the 11th, 12th century, sort of quite a lot of churchmen, bishops, and what have you were were quite interested. We even know some of the some of the gay slangs. So you know, sort of uh, older men are, are known as Joves or Jupiters, and the the men, the young men they're chasing are the are Ganymedes or uh, or Fricks. You know, so it's, it's it's amazing sort of how much how much you can find out when you sort of really dig past um, past popular history or or Hollywood history. Which, given that we're you know producing um, sort of the most in depth medieval game on the market is something that we uh, that we do we like to we like to rummage around sort of uh, the academic journals and uh, find ourselves find ourselves papers that help help illuminate the middle ages and then bring that to the gamer awesome um, so I'm, I'm none of us are academic historians you know we're we're, we're very much interested interested parties uh, we're you know the usual the usual kind of gaming thing i think rather than saying that we're medieval academics it would be more accurate to say that we're medieval obsessives <laughs> <laughs> nice all right um, so let's get to our weekly gaming briefly so you um what have you played what what have you played uh, in the last you know few days do you play a lot or do you just talk about gaming yeah i'm <laughs> i'm in I, <laughs> i'm in a fortnightly um chivalry and sorcery game hmm. nice thing about that one is that i'm playing it not running it um andrew marrington who you mentioned earlier is the games master on that one and it's really quite nice to be gaming to be playing a game that you've helped design because it means i can like concentrate more on issues that other players are, are having with it is it the rules that they're that, that they're enjoying or, or disliking is it the setting is it um is it the style of game because chivalry and sorcery is quite different to to D and D. It's a uh, it's very much a simulationist game. I know mm-hmm. you're going to mention um, GNS <laughs> theory later on your on your on your list. So that's fun. We're, we're doing that once a fortnight, and uh, everything is still gatherings are, are still reduced here. So mm-hmm. we're we're playing that over Zoom and on uh, Roll Twenty, and then I'm running a weekly AD and D second edition. Uh, game on fantasy grounds uh with with zoom uh we are playing the temple of elemental evil on on friday on uh, no on wednesday night uh, my uh my players managed at last on session 13 to actually get inside the temple for oh. the first time they found themselves on level three beating up some bugbears and we left the session as as that battle awoke uh, or, or attracted the attention of a hill giant a warg some bugbear leaders and uh, and four ogres so nice. uh, we, we, we i'm trying I'm, I'm trying to do a technique i always usually like to sort of get the big battle out of the way at the end of the session so you feel like you've reached the climax but somebody was saying to me um a, a little while ago that um they like to leave it as the big battle is about to happen. So everybody is really, really eager to get stuck in straight away on the next session. So I thought I'd experiment with that and see how that went. Um, Besides which, I'm spending the rest of the week um, really annoying them by sort of sending them messages like, you're going to (laughs) die. I don't know anyone else who might do something like that. (laughs) Other than me, I mean. (laughs) Uh, That sounds great. So what did I play last week? Uh, I'm playing in a Night Below second edition D&D game ran by uh, Kevin Madison, who I had on the show last episode, and uh, Call of Cthulhu with Edwin Nagy. Call of Cthulhu is a great great system i'm, great I'm I love, terrible i love it. brp 
um, everybody's terrible at it. You go mad. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't read the books. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just bad at it. I just run from everything. But uh, the other people in my session, they like to not run from everything. So we've gone through a few characters for them. I have no idea how long the game's going to last. It was supposed to just be a few sessions, apparently, but uh, it's still going. And I also got into a session zero game with uh sean p kelly from gaming and bs in his delta green game which is streamed here on the hobbs and friends twitch and also on the gaming and bs twitch on every other thursday i think so i mean have you ever played delta green i haven't um i do have the pdfs I picked them up in a um, one of the uh, bundle of holdings. Oh, bundle! Uh, yeah. Humble bundle or bundle of holding, which which whichever one it was. I, it's it's essentially it's modern day Cthulhu, isn't it? Um, I think so. Yeah, with a lot of X filey kind of hiding it from yeah. everyone. Or October Faction, maybe if you've ever actually seen that show. Shout out to my buddy George Strait. I, I I have not. I'm afraid co-wrote that. Um, but uh, awesome man. All right, so. Let's see. We got one last part from the introduction here. Everything about you. So <laughs> this is a segment of the show where we try to say uh, something that maybe the listeners don't know about us. 66th episode. I, <laughs> I don't know. Everyone maybe knows me. I don't know. But uh, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I'll, I'll let you say that one first. All right. you know, so in, in this COVID age... I'm finding myself interested in professional sports, like the bubble of the NBA. Well, obviously, I don't even know how much professional sports you'd get into in Dubai, but the NBA is, has this little bubble that no one can go in or go out without extra, extensive testing and um, quarantining. And so they're trying to do like a mini season just in Orlando at Disney World. There's no audience, nothing like that, and I've found that interesting. NHL starts today. Denver Black Broncos. Hawks, no, no, NHL. No, I'm thinking <laughs> gotcha. Denver Broncos. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mr. the NHL uh, starts today, and the fiasco that MLB has done with the Marlins having like 12 of their players test positive for COVID. It's just, it's just kind of fascinating to me. I'm sometimes I'm into sports. Sometimes I'm not, but right now I find myself looking at Twitter and seeing way, more and more sports information coming up on my uh, social media in my Google, knowing what I'm interested in right now. So what about you? What's going on? You got anything for everything? Uh, well, I'm, I'm just, I was just checking the latest score and uh, Ireland are 134 for six and England are yet to bat. One of the few sports I'm really interested in is cricket which is going to perplex just even mentioning the word i think makes makes americans go oh no that's a really complex game so yeah i'm like crunchy crunchy sports <laughs> awesome <laughs> i'm not hugely into into other sports i don't think most of my listeners are when i check my stats on anchor for my other podcast random screed the majority <laughs> i would say 90% of the listeners are 50 to 59 or something like that so which yeah. i don't i'm not saying old people don't like sports but usually old role players don't necessarily feel like they're into sports ball but anyhow yeah it's 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 i mean I, I, my, my dad's hugely into sport um mm. i mean he remembers phone numbers by cricket scores you know it's oh, sort God. of the, the, the hairdresser was always oh don bradman at the oval 1953 you know, so, what wow. you know, three six four <laughs> But my, my dad's the sporty one. Um, I always said that, you know, he likes to he likes to hit a small ball down a slightly larger hole quarter of a mile away. And I like to kill dragons. 
<laughs> which sounds so, better to you listeners yeah <laughs> you know i mean any any hobby that you do is frankly weird you know <laughs> no kidding no kidding all right so let's get into the main topic so you are the uh, co-designer of chivalry and sorcery fifth edition right one of them yeah we've got a design team there there's there's six of us um being involved to varying degrees in in this edition yeah all right so act like you've been gaming as long as you have and you've only heard the name chivalry and sorcery what the hell is chivalry and sorcery right so i'll i'll tell you i'll tell you how i first encountered it it was um it was a boxed set it was a second edition sitting on the shelf of my friendly local game shop um in in yorkshire uh when i was a teenager and i probably walked past it for about a year um <laughs> same one picking it <laughs> picking it up picking up well i was maybe they got other copies in oh <laughs> picking it up and turning it over you know and and sort of you know a genuine medieval role-playing experience you know and eventually i bit the bullet and um i th i thought it was brilliant um, it opened up new ways of, of gaming for me. A, a lot of things that I'd been kind of dissatisfied about D&D. And um, this is not dissing D&D, by the way. It's the way that we played it. We, we were munchkins, you know, mm -hmm. so we were, we were boasting to each other about the number of pluses we had on our magic swords and, you know, all that kind of, you know, 14-year-old munchkin stuff we we did in abundance. So that's not the rules system. It's the way we were playing it. Oh, yeah. But... Um, you know, we our characters lived in the dungeon. You know, I don't think they ever came out once they'd gone in. And this was all about, you know, a society. The fact that there are lords and there are peasants and you can you're probably more powerful than some and you're weaker than others. And it was about it it, it seemed to be about role playing rather than uh, rather than just rolling dice. And I, that interested me. A great deal. Of course, you can do that with with D and D. You can do that with with any game. But chivalry and sorcery actually had mechanisms there that that rated your influence, gauged how easy it would be for you, um, you know, maybe as a as a as a guild master, you know, to to get access to the baron or the duke, and to be able to convince him, you know, to maybe let you off the taxes um, this year or or you know, to, to do something to your benefit, you know, to grant you a monopoly alongside the the adventuring. So they still had like adventuring on. parties going into dungeons, right? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they well, they had adventuring parties. I, I would say that you, you were, by the time that I was getting into CNS, which was the second edition, um, it was less the sort of the old school um, dungeon as, you know, an incredibly detailed, large complex it was getting more towards the sort of the Middle Earth, Middle Earth role playing type troll hole or cave. You know, there were less mines of Moria and more sort of little underground places. Five, five room dungeons. Yeah, yeah. Day -day, you know, the, right? the, 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 one, the one page dungeon, you know. Um, crypts, yeah. I mean, crypts um, and such. But I mean, it was yeah. set in like an actual. 11th century France or something is that right or um, I think the first edition that I've I've read on Wikipedia now do have the first edition um, which has um, renowned for its insanely tiny 
typeface, mm-hmm. um, which these days I have a great deal of difficulty reading. Um, <laughs> Six point uh, or without... something, I thought it said. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think it's less than that, to be honest. I've, I've read that it's six point, but you know, I, I was I, I worked in publishing for a while. To me, it looks like you know, it's four and a half or five point. You know, oh it's, it's minuscule. You need a magnifying glass, or I do these days. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my very my very focals won't quite handle that. Um, I'll, I'll run you briefly through the editions. So the first edition was was um, very D and D like with a with a society uh, placed around it and a war game built into the rules, a miniatures war game. Uh, built into the core rule book. Um, one of the reasons the typeface is so small is they try to put in everything in the kitchen sink. So the idea behind Chivalry and Sorcery, um, it was going to be what they call the grand campaign. So you can role play individual characters, um, you can war game baronial rivalries or wars between nations, you can you can game at very many different scales. The so second edition um, was more playable, certainly more readable. Um, it used a used a font that everybody could read, and that and that was it for many many years. For um, I think maybe twelve years, and I thought the game was dead, quite frankly. And then once again, in a different friendly local game shop in Yorkshire, I found a third edition in the middle of the nineties. So I bought that, and like a lot of other fans at the time, it it, it had tried to go for popular appeal and, and more generic um, fantasy. And it didn't feel quite like chivalry and sorcery. And they changed the, they changed the skill system to something that was actually quite effective. And we still use that um, third edition skill system today. The firm that published it went, got into financial difficulties, as happened with a lot of firms in the, um, in the mid to late 1990s, <laughs> TSR. <laughs> ICE, you know. So Steve Turner, who was a, a budding British um, game designer, um, who had written a couple of third-party supplements for the third edition of CNS, got in touch with Ed Symbolist, who was one of the original creators, had been involved in the first three editions, and together they joined forces, bought the intellectual property, and produced the fourth edition um, very, very quickly, which brought back the medieval flavour, um, and. Um, released a number of supplements for it um, and that was around about the year 2000 to 2002 um, and it's been sort of fairly moribund ever since we've been talking about doing the fifth edition for a very very long time it's really been sort of the the, the age of kickstarter and crowdfunding that's allowed us to do it in fact when we did when we launched the kickstarter um, steve contacted me and said okay we're going to do the kickstarter and i was thinking yeah 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 you know we've talked about <laughs> bringing the fifth edition out for, for years I'm sort of largely disregarding it um, and they're no no for real you know we, we're going to do it so uh, I'm a writer by trade um, so you know can you come up with some marketing slogans for us I'm, yeah okay you know uh, here's my first thought you know and uh, he liked that so I was trying to say I can refine that I can make it better he's like nope that's working for me um and so then we launched the kickstarter and halfway through it i slipped a disc had to have spine surgery i've got to write i've got to edit this thing you know i'm banned from using banned from using computers um i'm laid up on my on my back so it was it was kind of an interesting uh interesting kickstarter experience for me how Uh, did it go i mean 
I just heard someone ask yesterday in a Discord, hey, what does anybody know about 5th edition chivalry and sorcery? And I'm like, oh, wow, interesting. <laughs> um, okay. It went pretty well. Um, we funded in, I think, 16 hours. And we then ended up, I mean, there was, a, there was that crazy time. I mean, it, it, was, our, it was our first Kickstarter. Um, so we didn't really know how these things go. And you've got these tracker sites that predict what your your final thing would be and because we'd funded you know in in sort of in 16 hours it's predicting you know we're going to make sort of 150,000 pounds on on this kickstarter right we, we don't actually know what to do with that much money you know? <laughs> it's like what what are we going to do it's going to go mental you know um and in the end i mean it, it, of course it slows down um after that and you, then you get a slide pick up towards the end so we ended up getting um about twice as much money as we'd hoped for i think the final total was about thirty-five thousand pounds which was about fifty thousand uh, dollars at that time um so people must be interested yeah i mean we had we um i'd have to look up the figures actually but i, I think we had um i can't remember whether it's 450 or nearly 600 backers but we had a we had a lot of backers. Chivalry and Sorcery is one of those is one of those games that you know you've got to be a grognard really to have heard about it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it, you know it's never had the marketing push. It's it's never had the products um, the product placement I suppose um, of of some other games. But it's been there. It's it's one of the it's one of the oldest role playing games on the market. I think one of the reasons that it's not more widely known is it's always had the reputation as being sort of the game that you use as a resource for your other games. You don't actually play chivalry and sorcery. You you mine all the historical research <laughs> that's gone into it to, to flavor your, your easier to play game. And I think that that's a reputation that it had from the first edition. Um, they, the subsequent editions have been a lot easier to play. We've, um, my, um, rules contributions for the fifth edition have really been to go through a lot of the rules and sort of rip large chunks of them out and say we don't need that we don't need that we don't need that we don't need mm. that and by the way can we at least just have one unified core mechanic <laughs> yeah so you do now you um, have a core loop what is it yeah um so we we call it the skillscape system it's essentially it's a it's percentile dice with an effect die that we um call the crit die because the guy who was running the who did the third edition sort of trademarked that, and we ended up with the IP for it. So we've got a trademark; we'll we'll keep it. So essentially, yeah, you you roll low on percentile dice to succeed or fail if it's above your skill, and then you roll a, a, a another d10. Preferably, you roll all three together. You have another d10 of a different color, um, and that shows you how well you've succeeded or failed. And I wouldn't swear to it but i think when that came out in the in the mid 90s it i think it was the first system to use an effect die mechanic mm. um which games like the age system from green ronin um mm -hmm. use use effect effect dies very well um i mean that's star really, wars really right um star wars is yeah, the Star Wars, Star Wars is different because I mean they're they're all effect dice to some extent. True, but I mean they, that know? whole concept, um, right? Of, yeah, uh, yeah. Ga yeah. Gauging um, uh, success or failure is something definitely that is people yeah. are more interested. So, in. so yeah, so and and, and it, I mean 
it's not the only technique for gauging success or failure. Sort of uh, RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu have had their uh, critical successes and uh, special successes. Um, everybody's just looking for an easy way of doing it without mm -hmm. having to do too much um, too much maths on the fly. So uh, everyone talks. The people I talk to, they often talk about the feudal society, but that's the chivalry part. I mean, is the magic system been historically different? Have you kept that over the additions? What's the source part? The, the magic, the magic, the magic system has probably changed um, more than anything between editions. Um, the one that we're using for the fifth edition sort of harkens back a lot to the second edition, which is where a lot of fans um, really rate the second edition as the, uh, the go-to version. Um, so the magic system, I would say, it's, it's, it's medieval-flavored rather than being authentically medieval. Um, we well, are, wouldn't be we one are, if it was. Well, actually, fun, no, well, fun, fun, <laughs> funny you should say that. Um, we are actually working on a variant magic system that is based on medieval ideas about okay. magic. So you're dividing it between um, natural philosophy and science, which is what leads to astrology and um, alchemy. alchemy. Yep. Um, and uh, and that, that in a way is, is kind of like the educated, the, the high magic. It's the, 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 uh, the educated person's um, magic. And then you've got low magic, which is herbalism and charms and... Hedge wizard um, type stuff. Nice. Yeah, exactly. So we we're trying to we're trying to put that to, and both of those um, shade to a great degree into both um, what we would now call science and into religion because a lot of the medieval incantations, you know, they would use saints' names or, or words from the Bible because as holy words, those had power, but they were using it not in a religious context. They were using it in a magical context. Um, the way that the magic system works here, magic costs fatigue. You can minimize the um, the fatigue that um, spellcasting costs you um, by either paying in paying up front and holding some spells in your memory, part cast. So I suppose that's the closest that you would come to a Vancian system because you've memorized a you know your spells. You can cast them on the fly. There are some that you have prepared so that you can cast them much faster, mm -hmm. um, and and you they cost you less fatigue once you've expended the ones that you've pre-prepared then of course you only can use your uh, regular spells so i suppose that's the closest we come to vancian i'm, I'm not a huge fan really of, of vancian magic it's it's one of the things that bugged me about the i don't know if anyone um, is in the 80s seriously um, i don't know if anyone is a big yeah. fan of vancian magic but um, use it <laughs> so what's the difference between what's your regular magic then Oh, the regular magic is, is quite simply to cast each spell um, as you need it, and it can take time. So usually a spell, a, a combat-type spell, is going to take you an action to, to cast. But some of them will take, you know, three or four three or four actions to cast. I'm trying to avoid using the word round, because mm -hmm. we, have a, uh, we have an action point um, system. For, for initiative, so um, okay. you will normally get to several actions in a round. The way that the spells are described, it's, it's, in some ways it's a little bit like the first edition AD&D spell descriptions. You know, there's, a little, there's a little looseness around them, um, and that's by design, to, to see if players can come up with creative ways to, uh, 
to cajole their games masters into letting them do something. With there you it. go. You know, because we, we like that. <laughs> that definitely gives it an old school feel. So there's obviously some people would say chivalry and sorcery is OSR. Some people wouldn't because it doesn't have the exact mechanics of D&D. But do you definitely still feel like it has an old school feel or the aesthetic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, OSR, you know, we had this discussion um, for the GRC panel um, a little while ago, you know, sort of there's a difference between being old school and OSR. Mm-hmm. OSR is new and creative and draws inspiration from old school. I don't think that we're really an OSR game. We, we are pitching as an, as, a, as an old school, an old school game. And it's definitely a new edition. I wouldn't put us really as part of the OSR, OSR movement. I think that our next phase may well see some more osr influence okay. now that we've got the fifth edition out and one of the things actually i don't think we've announced this so you're, you're hearing it for oh, the first there we time go. This is what um, we do. Yeah, yeah you're hearing it for the first time here so we're, we're basically um stripping out the core mechanics and streamlining them even further to use as a, a universal engine now i don't know that we will actually publish it as a universal mm-hmm. engine we may go more a more the sort of the chaosium route until the big gold book of basic role-playing came out where basic role-playing was the core mechanic behind all of their games yep so we we may do it we may do it as that and keep a very very simplified system as as they as the core mechanic for other games and there's all kinds of stuff that that interests us we are of we are of historical bent so you know the Pirate Republic of the early 18th century is something that we've we've talked quite a lot about. Uh, we'd need some ship combat rules for that, and uh, the last CNS-related ship combat rules were published, I think, in about 1978. Those will require quite a hefty update. No you know, kidding. And didn't involve cannon. It was it was ancient ships uh, by Reem and Galley. Um, wow. So that gives you some idea that it wasn't run out the guns, you know. Wow, so you have a lot of ideas and plans to move forward. You said 5th edition is out now and people have it in their hands? Yeah, people have it in their hands. It took a long time to get out. We got hit with COVID. So we got we got a large shipment of books into North America, um, into the distributor's warehouse, uh, I think possibly as little as a day before the warehouse was locked down. Oh, So we had those, we had those sitting in the distributor's warehouse for... Um, at least two months, possibly longer. Now, fortunately, um, Steve, who's the lead designer, had teamed up with somebody else to do a distribution, to set up a distribution company in the UK. So he's been able to get copies into things like Indie Press Revolution, um, Amazon, certainly in the UK, as well as funding, as, as well as getting products to shops in the UK. But it's been on a much, much smaller scale than we really would have wanted. But what can you do? You know, what I mean, we're we're all facing facing unprecedented times. Yes, to use the cliche of the last <laughs> few months. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, we have the we have the product there. It is now getting out into the shops. Um, copies have been seen in the wild, and copies have been purchased in the wild. Well, that's exciting. I, I'm going to yeah. have to find some people and maybe get you to run a game or something at some point and we'll try and get some yeah, that'd be, listeners that'd be in or something. That would be interesting. So uh, as always, we're moving past time. Let's uh, say this is a new segment where I ask people like what their legacy or epitaph in the old school would be. You can choose either legacy or epitaph, your choice. 
Oh, I'll go for epitaph. Oh, nice. I mean, my, my yeah, I mean, my, my, my standard default epitaph is from Leonard Cohen's Bird on the Wire. <laughs> like right. a bird on the wire, like a drunk in a midnight choir, I have tried in my way to be free. Um, but, as, uh, but as an old school epitaph, roll for initiative. Okay, <laughs> that would be amazing to see in a churchyard. <laughs> You're walking around, like, surrounded by graves, and like roll for niches. Oh my God, what's in here? Am I enough level to deal with this? <laughs> I wonder if that may not be more may be more prolific as time goes on and gaming becomes more mainstream as it has. So we'll be we'll be we'll be fighting the addition wars in the old people's home, won't we? <laughs> yes, I hope so. I'm going to have my own home, old home people's home for role playing. I, I don't. I think it might just be called Hobbs and Friends too. Why not stick with a good brand? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. So uh, I want to take a little time to give some shout outs and appreciation to patrons and supporters of the Gamerhood and Hobbs and Friends. The first one is Scott Smith. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a patron, Scott. I really appreciate it. Next up is, you know what? I tried to do a phonetic spelling, and now I'm like, I don't. Aljiska Bayer, is that right? Aljiska Bayer. What did we say? I, we we tried to look it up on something. What was it? I think, we, I think we'd worked out as Aljuska. Aljuska. Okay, I did write it. Yeah. Right. All right. Aljuska. Aljuska Bayer. Right, beer, say, right. I uh, didn't change yeah. that. So much. Thank you so much for the, uh, being a patron. And weirdly enough, the dice never lie. Uh, I always roll on my list of patrons to see who's going to get shout outs. And they seem to like somehow work out and coincide with something. So the last one is Kevin Madison, who was just a uh, guest on the show last episode. So thank you so much for being a patron. I heard that Patreon is having some problems. So I don't know how long that's going to be going on. But uh, you hear anything about that? I haven't. No, I was. I, we, I, um, I got. A couple of things from from um, the Patreons that I subscribe to. I don't have a Patreon myself, but the ones that I subscribe to were still working yesterday or the day before. So oh. if if there's some if there's a problem, it's come up today. I think. Yeah, not uh, not a problem like quote unquote mechanically, but some people who were banned from Patreon have started a lawsuit, and the words are oh. the lawsuit may um, make Patreon pay out a lot of money that they may not have. I don't know. So we'll see oh what happens with that. You might want to check it out and see what you can find. I would also point you toward TJ Drennan's Patreon as he is the one who does the music for my show and uh, a lot of the random screeds. So if someone wanted to tap into your chivalry or sorcery, Andy, how would they get in touch with you? We have a website, BritanniaGames.com. I will put that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, you got a Twitter and, uh, or email? We we do have a Twitter. We are at Britannia Limited, and Britannia has two T's. Um, That'll be easy to remember. remember. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it, it 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 doesn't. It's not that we don't know how to spell Britannia. It's that the uh, the one with the one with one T, the correct spelling, was already taken by a hotel chain. Our website is BritGameDesigns.com. Um, I'll pop those into the chat. While he's doing that, I will right. say if you want to tweet me. Uh, the show is at OSRN Hobbs, and my private Twitter is at Hobbs Indeed. If you want to become a patron, if patrons are going to exist, go to www.patreon.com forward slash OSRN Hobbs. Uh, supporting the show is 
uh, very appreciated and uh, helps us do all the things that we do at the Gamerhood. So thanks for that. Yeah. And I'll yeah. just say that the, the, the other place to contact us is, is uh, on the uh, Chivalry and Sorcery 5th Edition group on Facebook. Um, nice. Being, being, being greybeards, um, we're, we're more... We're more into Facebook than they are the Snapchats and the Instagrams. I too <laughs> have Twitches. a Hobbs and Friends Facebook, <laughs> so I understand and get it. Mm. We also use Discord a lot here, so the Audio Dungeon Discord, and I am slowly sending out invitations to the Gamerhood Discord. So we're wrapping up here, Andy. You got anything yep. you want to uh, say? One of the things that you'd put in the show notes and didn't ask is is why you know why has chivalry and sorcery been less popular? And I think essentially we're a niche game. We always have been. We always will be. Historical simulation is not at the top of most gamers' minds. But if you like that kind of game, you've got a very limited choice of of games that will do it for you. And chivalry and sorcery is one of the leading ones. Yeah, I would say um, so. Awesome, yeah. man. All right, guys. I appreciate that. We're going to, uh, I think we'll just call it a day then. Hit the gosh darn outro music. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a beautiful day in the game of hood. A beautiful day for my gamers. Would you be one? Could you be one? It's out of that wonder, but don't despair. This colony's breeding great robbers. Would you be one? Could you be one? If the native is immortality rate works for you For a few bucks a month you can sign up and have the hogs kill you So let's make the most of another someday Brew up some coffee and play it my way Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my gamers? Won't you be? Won't you please? Please won't you be my gamers? The views, information, or opinions expressed by those interviewed during the Hobbs and Friends podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Hobbs and Friends and its staff. Hobbs and Friends is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series, available for listening on any platform of delivery. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform its listeners about the tabletop gaming industry. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into or placed in association with or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the express approval and knowledge of the Hobbs and Friends podcast creator is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Hobbs and Friends podcast site assume no liability for any activities in the connection with this podcast or for the use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.